The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Mm-mm-mm. Hello, hello, hello. We are so fired up today because I am here with a newer colleague, friend, and also game changer in the world of business. His name is Ryan Paw. Yeah, like the paw on a dog's foot. And the reason why Ryan is here is because I got connected through another dear friend. And it turns out that Ryan is not just a super connector himself, but what he is here to talk about today is some of the stinky ideas around networking and also why business moves at the speed of community and connection. So we're going to throw out the business cards, right? Like, let's get rid of them already. And we're going to talk about the kind of networking that we all need to think about for today's market and for today's professional. Ryan Pa, you are community. I mean, literally, that should be your middle name because aside from your own book, you are also the co-founder of Fast Company's executive board. You were the co-founder or are still the co-founder of Newsweek's Expert Forum and also Rolling Stone Culture Cor- Forum and Business Journal Leadership Trust. Like, where are you not? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. It makes my day. But it's true. And so I want to find out a little bit about how it is that you came to understand that networking is currency and how and why most people get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just came natural to me to be a bridge builder, to just create connections between people and resources, people and opportunities. I've been doing it since before community building had a name, since before I I knew what my career in community would be. It was just something I did as early back as my teens. I was always the guy who was bringing people together for you know, a party in a field just to kind of unwind and have a fun weekend together. And then in college, I was always the guy who was putting together events and intramural sports and things like that. And then when I graduated and I got my first job, I felt kind of lost and I felt kind of stuck because I was no longer building bridges. I was sitting in a cubicle. You know, I was just kind of doing whatever the boss told me to do. And I had a great boss, so don't get me wrong. I learned a lot from that experience, but something was missing. And I think what was missing is that sense of community that I'd always been able to build. So I started blogging back when like blogging was like the thing you did. There wasn't a Twitter. Facebook was just you know college friends kind of sharing pictures of, of what they did on the weekend. And it was a great way for me to amplify my voice, talk about 
what I was experiencing in my career, connect with others who were like new to the real world and talk about just the trials and tribulations of that experience. And I ended up being able to build a community of people who were like-minded and, and kind of feeling the same feels, going through similar challenges and trying to find their place in a world. And that's kind of how things developed, how I became a community builder. At that same time, there were some, you know, kind of early community builder, builders out there talking about this idea of a need for people, especially in digital ecosystems, to kind of shepherd conversation and protect the, you know, the fragility of like of community of those ecosystems and ensure that like they continue to be valuable and bring something special to people's lives when they join them. And that's how it all sort of unfolded. You know, I just kind of get more and more obsessed with the idea of community as a business and being able to turn my career and, and my focus into, you know, just a force for good and helping others find and excel at their passions through connecting with other people. Okay. So, you know, I'm a big challenger kind of person. So, you know, I want to say like, we hear, oh, like be a part of a community and we're a community and you should join us. But I guess the really important question and or insight that I would love you to unpack is what happens if you are not part of a community? What if you are just like out there and let's say a naysayer or somebody that says, you know what? I just don't want to be a joiner. Like, how does that impact either your career or potentially just your sense of place in the world? Well, I mean, I think everyone's in a community, whether they know it or not. You know, by saying you don't want to be a joiner, you're joining the community of you know, non-joiners. <laughs> so in a sense, it's very hard to escape the fact that we're all part of a community. It's just whether or not we embrace those communities that we're a part of and proactively seek out other opportunities to strengthen the community that we've built around ourselves. I think the people who sort of fight hard to kind of resist the support that can come from being a part of a group and being part of a community of other people is that you get lost in the shuffle. You know, you wonder why you're not being selected for opportunities. You wonder why the world is not granting you everything that it should and everything that you deserve. Frankly, I think in my worldview, and at least in my career experience, every opportunity that I've had in my life is because someone else has given me a chance to shine, right? And what better way to have those opportunities organically flow towards you than to invest in community and invest in helping other people? Uh, community is not about necessarily like, you know, a fraternal badge that you have to wear on your sleeve. And it does not have to be like this sort of inherent part of your identity necessarily. It's just where you're making investments in other people. That's what community is. And that might be joining a membership group like executive board, right? Or fast company executive board. It might be something a little bit less official, like, just making time in your day-to-day to instill generosity into the way that you work. I call it habitual generosity, right? Like where are you making time in, in any given day or any week to make sure that you're not just investing in yourself and your business, but investing into supporting others excel in their career pursuits. That in itself is community. I love this. 
I love this because Adam Rifkin, who posted about yesterday on LinkedIn, talks about the five-minute favors. And failure to do a five-minute favor at least once a day is probably the biggest mistake you can make in your career. And yeah, I, just sure. love, I just love that he had coined that phrase. In your book, um, Super Connector, you make the point and argue that a lot of the traditional networking practices are what I call landline, right? Mm. They're like from the dark ages. Can you like elaborate on what you mean when you say a lot of the practices and methods that we are familiar with are not relevant or so far they have like mold on them? Uh, yeah. What are those and what are the new approaches that we should be taking? I mean, when I hear sort of the old analog version of networking, what I immediately think about is just this stuffy bar and people, you know, doling out business cards like they're candy, thinking that that is somehow going to magically manifest success. It's so transactional, it's lost its luster. And that's not to say a lot can't be accomplished over a beer at a bar. I mean, some of my favorite business opportunities started out with a couple of, of good friends having a couple of drinks and, and talking about big ideas. Though the way that we've been doing it for so long is just like, let's get as many business cards out there as possible. And then that's just going to make it rain. That doesn't work. And, and it doesn't work for a lot of the best connectors and super connectors. For me, as an example... You know, I've always wondered what's wrong with me. Why do I freeze up in these environments full of just opportunities to meet and connect with people? And it was only until like my mid 20s where I came to terms with the fact that I'm like a huge introvert. And those types of environments to me are just like death. You know, I just, I can't do it. But I find a lot of joy and a lot of opportunity in smaller groups, right? I think the purpose of Super Connector and trying to re phrase and, and reframe what networking really is, which is really building relationships, is to help people understand that there is no one size fits all. Right. Like anyone that picks up that book, I'll tell them like it's not a blueprint. Like I'm not going to give you the like one, two, three steps to making it work for you. That doesn't exist. Instead, I can give you inspiration. I can connect you to other super connectors who have different ideas and different methodologies for how they have managed their communities and managed their networks. But you have to find what's right for you and build your own blueprint. And I think, you know, part of redefining networking is is one, realizing that there is no one size fits all and you don't have to fit into the stereotypical networking event style of strategy. Like that actually doesn't work for most people at all. And secondarily to that, we have to remind ourselves that this is about building relationships. It's not transactional. Most of these relationships that we're build, building, they're built on trust and it takes time and giving back in order for you to build you know, dividends in that bank where you can finally pull out and, and perhaps you know, get some value from those investments. You know, that's the whole point. The point is making big investments that have long-term value, not short-term gain. Mm-hmm. I'm so with you here. And so... The overarching direction that I've heard and I'm confident that you would agree to is that as you are networking, one of the key tenets is authenticity. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do people 
anyone, let's just say inexperienced networker, or even somebody who is really, really, really like an amazing talent, but simply doesn't like networking. And when they hear, oh, just go be authentic, that's, it's almost like, well, yeah. if I knew how to Easier be authentic, I would be right? doing it, right? <laughs> so yeah. how do you get to that place of being authentic when it feels so herky-jerky and so uncomfortable? How do you break through that? Yeah, well, I think it starts with self-awareness, which again, is kind of like a big word, right? Easier said than done to figure that out. But we've got some great resources, some great, you know, individuals that that talk about self-awareness within the chapters of our book. What I've always found is start by, you know, writing down areas in your life where you feel the most vulnerable. And and areas of your life, things about you that you have a difficult time sharing and, and talking about. Maybe because they're things that you haven't yet really figured out, right? About yourself or you know, your identity. Oftentimes, those are the most interesting topics for people to hear about is those vulnerabilities and those challenges, because all of a sudden you're not you're not faking it anymore. And that veil kind of gets torn down and we start to become more human. And remind ourselves that at the end of the day, we're just people. You know, we all have the good, the bad, and the ugly going on in our lives at any given moment. And, you know, those are strengths, not weaknesses. They're some of the best opportunities to build trust and the best opportunities to build genuine relationships that will turn into something special. Okay. So now let's take this like to real time. Let's pretend because we really don't know each other that well. And thankfully, we were introduced through a mutual contact. But let's pretend we are two strangers. We've never met before. We've never met on LinkedIn before. But you want to get to know me, and I don't know who you are. So how are you going to break into a cold connection? How are you going to super connect me? Yeah, good questions are... I think one of the best ways to break the ice. And a good question is oftentimes not what people think. One of my least favorite questions is, well, what do you do? I'm right with you. I mean, how many times do we feel like we have to regurgitate that elevator pitch? Not that we're not passionate about what we do, but it's like, it's so repetitive. And at the end of that conversation, like, what does it really lead to? If not better questions and you know, hopefully deeper conversation or just utter confusion that ends the conversation altogether. Even in in how we, you know, start to build connections with our members and communities like the executive board you're a part of, like I train my team to ask good questions. You know, one of the questions I love to ask and I love for our team to ask is, you know, what's something you're excited about that you're working on right now? Immediately that sort of kind of feeling that you have to have the perfect elevator pitch like goes away, the anxieties subside. And, you know, most really ambitious and creative and exciting entrepreneurs and executives have something they can share that they're working on. And they'll just go into great detail about those projects. And it opens up so many doors to deeper and deeper conversation. So I would say investing in good questions and avoiding those sort of like, you know, softball, boring questions that we all know that we're tired of having to answer. You know, get into the, like the good stuff right away. I think that really opens up an opportunity. 
the other thing is, well, what? what yeah, was like, your like so, so the follow up question was so, if this were like a real example, how might you do that with me? So, would you do it on LinkedIn? Would you have a middleman, you know, make an introduction? How would you like walk us through maybe the first two or three steps to be able to do that in a way that was indicative and honoring of a longer term building relationship, not just like, hey, I'd like to connect, which if you ever do that to me, I'm probably not going to connect with you because I have no clue what you're really wanting or or where it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what I might do, and I don't, again, there's no, there's no one path, but let's assume I don't know Lauren and I want to get to know her better. And, you know, I didn't get connected by our awesome friend, Chris, and I really wanted to be a part of your world, maybe get on your podcast or work with you in some other fashion. You know, I might reach out to you through Chris to get a warm introduction and build that trust. And I might start the conversation with, you know, something that I know you're excited about, which is your podcasts. How are things going? You know, what types of guests are you looking for? Maybe I can help you fill some slots with people in my network that would be a really good fit. And I would let that conversation kind of snowball and see where it went and not really pitch myself as a guest directly until that door potentially opened and it felt organic. I would instead be focused on helping you whether or not you know there was any immediate gain for me in that situation. You just um, again, walked right into the next area. You just walked into it because you are a super connector. And one of the hallmarks that you talk about in the book, and one of the ones that I also believe in, is the power of generosity. And as you were working through this example, live and on the spot, what you did immediately was have that talk track in your head. How can I, how can I help you be successful? Who can I connect you with to facilitate that outcome? Where is it that I can be of service? And you left yourself last. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone to start reframing. And for those of you who are challenged with networking, because I know that's a thing. And usually one of the first mistakes is going in for the ask too soon. And so here you are just demonstrating this right from the get-go and finding something that would be of interest to me. Your, like you said, the self-awareness. Hmm, what would light Lauren up? How would I, you know, come at this as somebody who is offering something versus putting another potential demand or request on her plate that, you know, maybe she can't take on right now? Right. Exactly. Or, you know, to just come off as another some another person just trying to sell something. I mean, how many requests do we get like that every day on LinkedIn? You know, I think it's just, it's a little bit demoralizing how direct yet indirect people can be. And you can kind of read right through the lines and know what they're after. There's a time and a place for that. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I know how to sell. I think there are a really great sales tactics out there that have a time and a place that you know should be utilized when the time is right. But oftentimes, it's, it's almost like untrained and untested 
business development or salespeople are just like immediately trying to go in for the kill. And we're like, Hey buddy, <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's go on a couple of dates first, you know, and see how totally. things work out. So a big part of what I do is help C-suite and executives and encourage them to build a networking practice to actually create a pipeline, a funnel, and then what I think is probably one of the most challenging areas is the nurturing aspect, the place where it's like, okay, this isn't a one and done. And I know it's you know not a transaction. I get that. But OMG, I am like really busy, right? I'm so busy. So what is your thoughts, advice on how people, once they have established those relationships, are able to maintain and nurture them. Again, this isn't a science, but there also there also has to be some awareness that, and I say this a lot, but I really do mean it, your network doesn't work like a bellhop. In other words, you're not going to ring that bell. And all of a sudden, when you're back on the market or you need something, ching, ching, you know, they're going to come running to help you if you have just kind of left them in the the cold freeze for you know the past six, eight months. So how do you recommend that people maintain and nurture what they have planted? Yeah. I know people that literally just have a Google sheet, right? That they run through on a given cadence to stay connected to the people in their world that are most valuable to them. It can be that simple. It doesn't have to be cleverly architected or driven by some fancy AI. Like some of the easiest things to do are just kind of like a little bit is simple data entry that can help you stay in touch with people. You know, a little virtual Rolodex that helps you remind yourselves of who is out there in your world that you need to stay in touch with. You know, this is also where the sort of platform community side of things can come into play. I mean, like the ability to create a community platform has never been easier. I mean, we can create a free community on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on various other platforms to bring people together of like-mindedness, not so you can you know, casually sell them every once in a while so that you can open doors and build bridges between people in an ecosystem that keeps you top of mind because you're the one that brought that group together and helped people of like-mindedness you know, be able to exchange and support one another through an ecosystem that's just meant for that type of generosity to take place. And there are so many other ways to make those sorts of things happen. I think it's really a trial and error, figuring out what's right for you. It's like entrepreneurship in a way, you know, you just kind of like toy and play around and, and try to break things until it works. And I think, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to just kind of start that process and see where you land and know that, you know, whenever you fail, just like, again, in business, it's just an opportunity to learn how to do it better. So, you know, again, there's no blueprint. There are people in the book that do this very, very simplistically and people that have very sophisticated ways of thinking about it. You got to kind of know yourself and know what's right for you. And then you can start figuring out again, like what's the best way to manage these relationships and make sure it's not one and done, but something that you're constantly making deposits into so that you know there is an eventual value return at some point down the road. And to be fair, like there are some relationships that you're going to invest in that aren't going to ever return like mega value at some point later. That's part of it as well. And just accepting the fact that 
some of the people you're going to help are never going to like make a giant impact for you personally, but it's kind of just part of that process of making investments. There are going to be some winners and there are going to be some things that aren't so valuable, but you have to kind of take risks and then put yourself out there to build that social capital and invest in other people. Mm. I'm so glad that you just bought, brought up the whole idea of social capital and you earlier talked about you know, equity and more or less areas of like the bank account. And I run in this, into this a lot. And um, most people, when they're in a job search, they are very short-term thinkers, right? On some level, they want everything, right? They don't want where they came from. So they don't want the toxic boss. They don't want like a crappy, you know, culture with just a bunch of white people, or they don't want, you know, like the grind, but they also at the same time want to be working. And their knee jerk reaction is I need to either go slam the apply now button, or I need to just overly invest in recruiters and have all these people start coming to me with all these opportunities. A lot of times in those situations, when I reinforce the value of networking, I get the either visible or invisible eye roll thinking that it's just going to take too long, right? It's just going to take too long and I don't have time to make those investments. What do you have to say to those who are in career transition about the compound interest of networking and the reasons either for or against what you should be doing, especially as you become more senior, where a lot of times those opportunities are not there, either with a recruiter or on a job board. What do you do to expedite that? I don't know if you can't expedite it necessarily, but I think that it's just like working out, right? You know, you have to show up. Some days you're going to have a really, really good workout. Some days you're not. But you know, if you showed up and you did something, you're making gains, right? So, you know, five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever that magic number is, like make that time to show up and to do something about it and to just, you know, exercise that muscle and, and continue to let it build. You know, it's it's not about expediting the process. No one, you know, shows up to the gym and, and after one week has like the body of their dreams, right? It's like, you need to make those investments long-term and understand that this isn't like so much like a quick win, but it's like a, a longer-term initiative that's helping build your career and, and professional health. I think that's a better way of looking at it. And also like, you know, there is no perfect job. And one of my favorite pieces of advice that I still share with a lot of young professionals looking for their first careers or jobs after college is just just get a job. You know, like it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. This is something that um, Jason Freed from uh, Basecamp had told me in an interview we did like over 10 years ago. And I still think it's, it's great advice. Like, you know, my first job wasn't the greatest. You know, we talked about it earlier. I was in an insufferable cubicle environment, didn't love that. But I learned so much and I had an income and I didn't have to worry about paying my rent. And it bought me the freedom to, you know, make those investments into building my network and my social capital alongside having all those other elements of my life, all those basic essentials taken care of, right? I wasn't anxious about 
you know, making sure that I could pay the rent. I wasn't anxious about income. I didn't feel the pressure because I had an income and I could make time on my own to make these investments. I think the best way to advance in your career and to find the job of your dreams or to start your own venture, whatever you're trying to do is to do so while you already have like some sort of job in place. That might not be the perfect thing, but the thing that's paying the bills because then you earn yourself more headspace to focus on the future versus if you're scrambling, you're going to make a ton of bad decisions because you know, you're under pressure to to make sure that your your bare essentials are taken care of. I say just get a job. It might not be perfect. It might not be the the best culture. It might not be as diverse as you want it to be or open up the types of doors that you eventually want it to, but it's going to be an experience, you know, and it's going to help you. It's going to help equip you to be better prepared to jump in and take risks and build relationships and start side hustles. Whereas the person that doesn't have a job at all is really going to struggle with that. And is that primarily for people who are just embarking on their career or are you suggesting that no matter what, where you are? I mean, if I were to start from scratch tomorrow, I would probably look for some sort of stable income that I could have to support my family and to support, you know, the life that I've created for myself while I build back up that, you know, sort of dream career work life balance that I strive for. Yeah, there's that, a lot of dignity in that. And stability is super important. Stability is a something that separates, I think, you know, folks that are able to stay focused and make good calculated decisions from folks that maybe are a little bit more erratic in, in their decision making. And that might like, you know, lead to success, but it's like roulette, you know, you're not really in control and you might get lucky. I prefer the more stable path of knowing, you know, at the end of the day, I have an income source and I can leverage the time that I have built around that to, you know, kind of prepare for future endeavors, future dreams that I might have that I still want to pursue. So what I um, also really want to explore at this time is, you know, nurturing your network. I say this because I believe it. And I think, again, this is where we are probably very aligned is a lot of the insurance policy for your career. Because so often we are, we want to, we may be in a position and that person is able to then have you top of mind. There may be something that is, you know, coming down the pike. They know that you're that person for it. So yes, I agree. There's a lot of dignity in having, you know, that income and so forth. But if you are truly investing in your network and you are building and nurturing that network, chances are you won't need to just have to take a job because somebody will have airmarked you based off of the equity that you have built. So I'm going to ask you my three favorite signature questions. And the first one is, what reminder as a post-it would you want everyone to write and put on their laptop, desktop, coming out of this episode with respect to networking? I guess it's kind of cliche, but I would say no one finds success on their own. Yeah. I think that's not cliche at all. I think it's beautiful. And I think it's true. And we need each other as part of a community or as part of just you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs to feel belonged. Second question is, 
and you can include your own. What book is a must read for our career to ensure that we are not just defaulting into the old ways of doing business and careers? I'm going to go with like a book that is going to completely come out of left field. And it's a, it's a biography of sorts. Actually, a famous Chicago chef. I know you live in Chicago, Charlie Trotter, who's just, he was one heck of a, a human being, one heck of a host and, and community builder in the, you know, restaurants and the experience that, that he created. There's a book called Lessons in Excellence that I really like because it's all about kind of setting the table for a great experience for others. And that to me ties back to so many opportunities we have to be great hospitality hosts in our own world. Like we all are trying to build hospitality for others in the relationships we're trying to build. And I think like I'm kind of a foodie. I love going out and experiencing great cuisines and and the experiences that they build around the food. There's a lot of really cool lessons that you can learn from this book that I think for at least myself, I found apply to, you know, the way that I build community and the way that I try to build experiences for other people. Mm, That's such a, I can't wait to read this book because I also am a foodie. And your walk-up song, Ryan, what's your walk-up song? Come on, bring it on. Something by Led Zeppelin just because it's my favorite band ever since I was a kid and my dad used to play it in the car. Ramble On is the one that always comes to mind that really gets me excited, especially this time of year. Being in the Midwest, like everything is kind of starting to thaw and the like energy is coming back into the world. Anytime that song plays, I'm in a, a happy mood and just feel like I'm ready to take things on. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rambler and Ramble On. Where should people find you? What should we do if we want to become part of your community? You know, so my company is community.co. I am so easy to find online. You can follow me on Twitter. You can go to my website, check out our communities. We've built a great collective of industry associations for executives and entrepreneurs that I'm really proud of. And pick up the book, superconnectorbook.com. You know, you can find it in Amazon or anywhere you like to consume your content. We're we're ready for you. And thank you for all for listening. And I look forward to hearing from you. We'll also make sure to put that link in the show notes. And uh, Ryan, thanks for being you. Thanks for being willing to come on this podcast. Thank you for welcoming me and ushering me through the Fast Company community. I really appreciate that. And thanks for just breaking it down and showing us the ways to build those connections so that you are a more fulfilled person and also so that you are part of something powerful and changing in the world with those who are like-minded. Can't wait to see you guys. Make sure that you write a review here on Apple or on Spotify, do a rating. This helps us so much. And of course, please share this. We all know people that have been laid off, struggling in their careers, wondering what WTF, how do I get through this time? Connect with them, reach out to somebody, do a five minute favor for somebody today. 
And thank you so much, Ryan. We'll all look forward to speaking and hearing from you next week. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now. And share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.